Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the world of wine, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we're going to look at Greece, one of the most historic and ancient of all wine-producing countries, but one that has had a very difficult history for the last 500 years, really, in terms of winemaking at least. But it's now making a slow comeback. It's not easy. The grape varieties are very difficult to pronounce, and consumers aren't very familiar with them either. The country is not rich, so um, marketing its wines is difficult. But the quality is definitely there, and the wines are getting better and better, and some of the wine is um, really worth seeking out. And the production of Greece Greek wine is about 4 million hectolitres per year, and 70% of Greek wine is white, which may seem unlikely given that Greece has such a warm climate. It gets very hot there during the summer. Maybe that's why so much white wine is made, to refresh the locals. But logically means that making refreshing white wine is going to be quite difficult because of that hot climate and so there are some particular characteristics to the grapes which means that they maintain their acidity. Wine making and wine drinking in particular go back all the way to ancient Greece which is one of the first great civilizations in the world which had a huge influence on the Romans who spread the vine themselves into the rest of Europe. A really important influence on the development of wine and is a really central part of ancient Greek culture, used for feasts and sacrifice, prayer and burial, for agreements and for medicine. You see it in the poetry of, of Homer. Quite how much wine was made is probably not that much, but still very important. Uh, wine was exported to, to France, or what is now known as France. The best wines were from the Aegean islands, and it's still very important because the Mediterranean influence has a cooling effect that produces higher quality wines in, in comparison where it's really hot and there's no cooling influence. We fast forward to the uh, 7th and 8th centuries. Um, agriculture is very profitable. Wine was mainly made by private individuals and monasteries, but it's the monasteries which were most important because they received donations and were exempt from custom duties, so they had those uh, financial advantages. And again, the Aegean islands were extremely important. But one thing that made uh, Greek wine different from the rest of Europe was the use of amphora, uh, by the 7th century, uh, West, the rest of Europe was using oak barrels. And so that was arguably a more sophisticated way of aging the wines. And it also meant that um, storing the wines was difficult in the amphora because it doesn't have the same um, qualities as oak, which protect um, the wines from oxidation. And that's why Retsina is such an important wine in Greece, still is today. The wines would be um, flavoured with uh, pine resin to stop the wine going off, to stop it turning into vinegar and going bad. You could argue that putting pine resin is just as bad as vinegar, but um, that's been a central part of Greek wine for centuries, and it's still a defining feature of Greek wine for many people who have a negative connotation of Greek wine because of it. And so that was the Byzantine Empire, and Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, was the centre of the wine trade and was um, it's really, really important and everything was buzzing. But then Byzantium, the, the state itself, was economically ruined by Venice and Italy, being granted trading facilities at Constantinople without paying the taxes. And that went on for several hundred years, by which time the Byzantine economy was destroyed. And then Byzantium fell to the Turks, and Turks' domination uh, just basically stopped 
the development of Greek viticulture until the 20th century. Winemaking was allowed, but it was localised in peasants, and so it's very low quality. And it's only been since the Second World War that modernisation has taken place. The industry was mainly seen as for cheap, poorly made wines. And since the 1980s, quality has been getting better with trained enologists, small quality estates, and more appreciation of Greek wine from within the country and from outside as well. But it is a struggle. Recovering from 500 years of poor winemaking, it takes some time, especially when the country doesn't have much money. So let's look at the geography and the climate. There are vineyards all over Greece at latitudes of 34 to 42 degrees north, so it's some of the world's hotter regions. And high altitudes are important for uh, the cooling effects of that, and also um, the Mediterranean as well, which will have a cooling effect, but it is going to be quite hot. Irrigation isn't actually permitted, though lack of water is a problem. And new vineyards can be irrigated, but older ones not. But that, in that hot climate, it can be an issue accessing the water. And Greece is an extremely mountainous country, and some of the vines will be planted quite high, for example 800 metres in Nemea, and often planted on north-facing slopes to slow the ripening, and also on low fertile soils. You'll have limestone subsoils on the mainland, and volcanic soils on the islands, because they were formed by volcanic eruptions. So let's look at some of the wine regions of Greece, um, starting in the northern part of the country, which borders um, Albania, Macedonia and Bulgaria. And perhaps the most famous is Nauasa, which is red wine made from Cinemavro. And we'll look at the varieties in a moment. And this is on the southeast slopes of Mount Vermeo in northern Greece, with plantings about two to three hundred metres high. And there's enough rain and it's cool enough to produce quality wine here. And the wines receive at least a year in oak. Uh, the younger styles of wine uh, from lighter and sandier soils, whereas more age-worthy wines come from clay and limestone soils. And these wines can be quite similar to Barolo in their intensity, their tannic structure, and their acidity, and also in their ageability as well. Opposite Nauasa is a region called Amiendeo, which is on the northwest slopes of Mount Vermeo, uh, 650 metres elevation, for the production of sparkling rosé. Going into central Greece, there's a region called Zitsa, which is uh, can be dry wine or sparkling white wine. And the highest vineyards in Greece are at Metsovo, which is 900 metres high, where the oldest Cabernet Sauvignon is planted. On the east coast is Rapsani, which is making uh, the best wine in central Greece, on the foothills of Mount Olympus. And Cinemavro is planted here. This is the most southerly that it's planted. And um, this is undergoing a revival. Uh, the potential is definitely there for high quality. To the south of the country is the Peloponnese um, Peninsula, which is large and has the largest number of appellations in the country and produces some very good wine. The most famous of these is Nemea, and the grape here is Ayogitiko, which means St. George in Greek, which is an intense fruity red wine. The yields need to be kept low. And there are three different zones within Nemea, with altitude going from 250 to 800 metres. The lowest zone does lack acidity because it's going to be quite hot, whereas the finest wine comes from 450 to 700 metres of vineyards. And this is receiving investment, um, oak aging, and getting um, some good quality wines here as people explore these zones more. Also within the peninsula there's Mantinea, which is 600 metres altitude, and here the grape is Moscow Falero, which is uh, fresh and dry and quite um, aromatic. Also Patras, 
which actually has four appellations within it. Patras is a dry white from Roditas, from slopes around the town. There's Muscat of Patras, which is like a vin du naturel made from Muscat Blanc Petitgrand. Rion of Patras is also from Muscat, almost extinct. And then Mavro Daphne of Patras, which is very popular. Mainly Mavro Daphne is the grape with uh, fermentation stopped when alcohol reaches 4%, and that's aged in oak and can be drunk 10 to 12 years after the vintage, and which could be extremely high quality. But Greece has lots of islands, and this is where some of the, uh, the best wine is potentially coming from. Uh, so there's the Ionian Islands, uh, Cephalonia is the best known, making powerful dry white wine from Robola, and the vines are trained individually on high stony land and ungrafted, although Phylloxera did arrive in the 1980s. And also there's unfortified Mavro Daphne, as well as sweet Mavro Daphne and Muscat as well. But perhaps the most uh, famous island is Santorini, which is part of the Cyclades Islands. Also Paros, making powerful tannic red wines, and Tinos. But Santorini has very strong winds, and so the vines are trained into baskets. And, it's, and you, if you look at a picture, you'll see exactly what that means. The vines trained in on themselves so that the, uh, the berries are protected from the wind. And the, what the wine here is coming from Assyrtico, which is a grape which maintains its acidity even in the hot climate, well adapted to Greece's climate. And these can be extremely good wines with high acidity, dry, really intense and concentrated. And there's also the island of Rhodes, which um, has been an important producer since ancient Greece. Muscat here is made, which is sweet. And then the Aegean islands, this again goes back to uh, ancient Greek times, two of Greece's most famous wines, Lemnos, uh, for Muscat, also a van de liqueur from Muscat as well, but Muscat of Samos is Greece's most famous wine after Retsina with plantings at 800 metres on terraces on steep hillsides. And it takes several forms. Samos du is like a van de liqueur, so adding immediate alcohol immediately after the grapes have been pressed, so it's all it's basically fortified grape juice. Samu, Samos van du naturel, where the fermentation is stopped later, and then Samos Nectar, which is the finest of all the, these wines, which is made from dried grapes, which have been dried in the sun. It'll get um, to 14% alcohol, spend three years in oak. And then finally, there is Crete, which has varieties unique to the island. Liatico, Mandalaria, Vilana. And the vineyards are on the north of the island, protected from hot winds that come from North Africa by a mountain range. These are wines you're not going to see too much of. So let's look at the different grape varieties in Greece, and most of them indigenous. So we've just mentioned Assyrtico, uh, grown all over Greece because it maintains its acidity in the hot climate, and so um, people have experimented with Assyrtico in the hope that they can produce high-quality white wine even when it's hot. Uh, but Santorini is where it's really focused on for high quality. And it's also blended with Malagasia and sometimes Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon. Roditas is, means from Rhodes, and it's a pink-skinned grape, which was uh, very important in Greece before phylloxera occurred, so not as important as it used to be. Uh, it's a late-ripening grape, sensitive to powdery mildew. It does keep its high acidity, which is why it can be important, while still ripening in the high-altitude vineyards. And it's often blended with Savatiana, which doesn't have as high acidity, especially for Retsina. Robola is both a wine and a grape variety, uh, made in Cephalonia, and it's quite lemony in its aromas, uh, dry, powerful, ripens early, again, high in acidity. Savatiano is the most common grape planted in Greece, 20,000 hectares 
It's light-coloured, resistant to drought, so that's important in Greece, and it's the most main ingredient in Rexina. It does have low acidity, which is why it's usually blended with Roditas and Desertico as well. Those are the whites. The red grapes, a Yogitico, is, is, is in Nemea, and wines from Nemea cannot be made from any other variety, but it does blend with other variety as well, sometimes with Cabernet Sauvignon. It's a fruity wine that can lack acidity, so it's the higher vineyards in Nemea which produce the highest quality and longest lived wines. And this is Greece's most planted black variety. And then Zinamavro, which is grown all over northern Greece, uh, down to Mount Olympus, and it literally means acid black, which gives you an indication of its aromas and its structure. And when it's youthful, it can seem a bit harsh and tannic, but it matures and develops nicely, as I mentioned, a bit like Barolo. And just a word on the Greek appellation system, which was originally created in 1971, following the French model. And now it's been uh, codified according to the EU rules, which are used across Europe, Dividing the wines into PDO wines, so protected designation of origin, and the PGI wines, so protected geographical indication. And these terms are used in Greece, and these two tiers cover historical categories which were created before the entry to EU in 1986. And the two categories which fall under PDO are designation of origin of superior quality, and then AOC, controlled designation of origin. And the AOQS, as the designation of origin of superior quality is called, as abbreviated, uh, will refers to dry wines, and these have a pink seal. Whereas the controlled appellation of origin, which you may see is OPE on the label, and has a blue seal, is for sweet wines, which will usually be from Mafrodaphne or Muscat. And then the PGI is a broader regional um, term, which used to be called Van de Pey, or uh, local wine. And this um, allows both Greek and international varieties um, to be used in the wine as well. So though the words might be hard to pronounce and be quite long and difficult, um, they are referring usually to place, um, following the French model. And maybe the grape variety will also be on the label. So that's Greece. Uh, Greece is changing. It's, it's exciting, it's difficult, it's challenging. But there are definitely lots of producers trying new things, working with historical grape varieties, working with international grape varieties, to create something new and dynamic which can appeal to an international market. And just to give you an idea of how Greek wine is changing, but based on its rich history, I recently tried a wine which came from a vineyard at the foot of a hill on top of which was a disused monastery. And the monks used to farm this vineyard and make wine from it, but they abandoned it a long time ago. So these vines were in disuse, but a, a producer came along and re re revived the vineyard, got it producing again, and now makes wine from it. The great variety in this vineyard is called Limnoia, and this is the only vineyard in the entire world that has this uh, vine planted in it, this variety called Limnoia. And the wine I tried was absolutely fantastic, it was sensational. And so it just gives you an idea of the unexpected in Greece. With that long history, there's lots of things to be touched on because so much has been abandoned or disused or misused. So there's lots of exciting potential for Greece, um, albeit in a difficult environment. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.